Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour is the Tennessee Power Hour. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Hope everyone's great this afternoon, this evening. I'm headed down to Jacksonville, meeting up with uh, Withrow and Jill Savage and Clay for Outkick the Tailgate tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern, across the Outkick Network. We'll be live uh, tailgating, getting ready for the uh, world's largest cocktail party kickoff in Jacksonville, Georgia, and Florida. No Vols game this weekend, but plenty to talk about with the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, in about 30 minutes, we'll get into the Titans matchup against the Colts. Three keys on how they can go on the road and win and put away a divisional opponent uh, pretty early in this season. Uh, but first, we, we turn our attention to Knox. We'll get all the news and headlines as we do each and every Friday with Brent Hubs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com, the very best in their coverage of Tennessee athletics and specifically Tennessee football. Brent, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hope you guys are doing well today. Absolutely. I know Austin's going to check in uh, momentarily as well. We'll get a thumbs up when he enters the room. I, I want to uh, just jump in immediately, Brent, and say, what a huge weekend it is for recruiting. It always is in open weeks. What can, can you put into perspective for us what the weekend will be like for Heupel and his staff? Well, they've just got guys spread all over the country. I mean, from Arizona to California to Florida, um, Alabama, Mississippi, um, out in Kansas at the junior college ranks. I mean, when you have the open date, Austin, you better take full advantage of it and you better be out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and that's essentially what Tennessee is doing. With only one open date in, in a year, uh, you, you got to make the most of it. Tennessee scattered out of here Wednesday afternoon, and they'll come back to town Sunday morning or Saturday night late after seeing a bunch of guys around the country. What? Ho, 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 guys. Hello. Oh, wow. I saw oh, I exactly wow. right. You're exactly right, Brent. Because, you know, Rodney Garner was out uh, on Wednesday. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I saw a tweet about this. Uh, it, it is October 29th. When did when did this go up, and how do you justify it? Well, it went up last 28th. week when I was at Alabama. Um, I, I was getting pictures of trees going up while I was sitting in the press box at Bryant-Denny. And again, listen, if I'm not having to put it up, I'm not going to complain. How does so, your wife boom. defend herself? The on, Christmas on tree this. is up at the Price household on October 29th. For the record, is yeah, this listen, a new kid, is this a new family record? Sunday, when the kids come Sunday and they say trigger tree, give out Christmas tree ornaments. Is this a new record for the Price household? Uh, October 28th. Uh, you know, I don't know what our record is. I, we've had one up like this before. It's not every year. Normally, it's first week of November. But again, I'm not going to complain when I don't have to do it. So. You know, I love hey, I, next year. Go hey, ahead. Next Hubs. August, next August, the girls are going to be out and they're going to be saying first day of second grade and it's going to be in front of their Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't take it down. Just don't take it down. Maybe throw a sheet over it for a few months, but don't take it down. I also love how Hubs, when Austin entered the room, 
uh, was just setting, and, and they do a great job of this, of setting each other up for a follow-up if they want one. And Austin had just entered. We were talking recruiting, and Hubs was setting him up. And it was just like Brent was like, right. yeah, a Christmas tree is in his background in October. No big deal. Austin, your thoughts on recruiting? You know, it's, well, you know, Tennessee right now has more juice than they've had at any point during Josh Heupel's, you know, eight or nine yeah. months on the job. I mean, it just it's as simple as that. I mean, because they've got tangible proof. I mean, you know, there was, you know, really no juice, no energy amongst the program, in my opinion, really all offseason. It was like, you know, not not – you know, it's not a knock on anything. It's just kind of like cloud of investigation, another coaching change. So fans are just like, you know, man, I, w- I went all in with all these guys. I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. And then this group comes out, and they play so hard that all the fans are like diving right back in. They're all in on this team. They're all in on the football program and Josh Heupel. And in turn, you know, you've had atmospheres like the one at Ole Miss that, that have been special for recruiting. Um, and, and, again, it just literally – Brent took – you know, six months to to play a game, to show something on tape, uh, you know, and it's easy to sit back and say, if you're Josh Heupel, like, hey, we just got to get to a game, put something on tape. But that's a long time, especially when you had the first three months where there was a dead period and kids couldn't be on campus. Then all of a sudden they could come to campus, but you really still didn't have anything to show. You've got a depleted roster, um, you know, and so I, I just feel like right now they're kind of capitalizing on a little bit of momentum um, and we'll see over the next eight weeks if they're able to reel in anybody of significance. Um, you know, I, I do think they're going to take a few swings at some guys and, and see what happens. Um, you know, you know, like a guy like Demario Tolan, who was, you know, a finalist. Tennessee was a finalist for him before he committed to LSU. You know, they're going to see him tonight, or I actually saw him last night, and uh, you know, play a game down in Orlando. And he's really, un, you know, sure, you know, what the future is with LSU at this point. So. You know, you're going to take some swings at some guys that may be committed to other other places and, and see what happens. They've still got people surely using the unfinished investigation against them. What sure. is what is what has the recruiting pitch evolved to now based on what they've done on on the field? Well, they're trying to be upfront and honest with uh, you know the kids. Um, you know. Obviously, they can't say for sure on anything, Brent. But at the same time, you know, I'm not sure Tennessee's going to self-impose anything either. I mean, like, why would you self-impose something when the NCAA seems so weak and it takes, you know, 14 years to get to, you know, to get to any kind of, uh, you know, verdict on any of these type cases? I mean, you know, look at me, these basketball cases that, you know, have taken years upon years to kind of get to the point where all of a sudden you're getting closer to the finish line. Um you know, I, again, I just don't feel like Tennessee's going to self-impose anything. And, uh, uh, you know, I, they're sure not going to self-impose a bowl ban this year. And so I think Tennessee's kind of just, you know, continuing to recruit, continuing to play and, you know, going on from there. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is with the NCAA losing, you know, a lot of its mustard and, and a lot of its strength, uh, you know, there's going to be some new things that are going to be written in with, with, you know, Power Five commissioners and, who's kind of going to take control of some things like that. In some cases, as as maddening as it is to fans that it's dragging on, it, it might serve Tennessee best to drag it on as long as possible because you might get less penalties. I think that's going to be the case at LSU. I mean, I, I think the longer this thing goes for Will Wade, then, then, then the more you're looking at a few-game suspension for him and, and you roll on type deal. So I, I think there's a school of thought there that, you know, maybe you benefit by this thing, you know, kind of dragging out a little bit longer than anybody had thought that it would. 
I'll go back to what the chancellor said back last spring. She never had any anticipation that it would be resolved this football season, and she's going to be right. Guys, we know that the the quarterback situation will be interesting moving forward, not this season, but for recruiting. Uh, and I know they have some commitments, and Austin, I'll start with you on this. Um, is the coaching staff definitive on we? not only do they want Hendon Hooker back, he's the guy. They're, they are focused on him being the starter. How does that affect recruiting in, in that area? How does that affect the transfer portal for Heupel? And if he were to dip his toe in and get another transfer at that position? Well, I, I think they're all in on Hendon Hooker. They want him back. Uh, they, you know, obviously are going to have to make sure that room is not uh, empty. Uh, right. And you don't know what's going to happen with Joe Milton. You know, I mean, is Joe content just kind of riding it out, getting his education and, you know, being a backup? Uh, some tells me no, but I mean, who knows? You never, just never know where a kid's at uh, in, in that you know frame of mind. So I, I go back to you know they're going to have to do what's right. They got Taven Jackson committed. Um, I see them going and getting another quarterback just because I think you have to have another one, um, you know, going forward. And so yeah, I mean, I think that that you know having a guy here that is going to have only one year left that would be the starter is better than a guy that has two years left, Brent, because, that you know, depending on who you're trying to go get and depending on how much eligibility they have, that can dictate, you know, the type of player you can get. I mean, like Spencer Rattler's not going to come here if Hendon Hooker is the quarterback, uh, you know, and because that's a name that continues to get thrown around or anybody uh, like that. Uh, you know, the, you know, that quarterback position, the only one can play. They all want to play, and that's why you see them move around so frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before there was a one-time transfer rule, you had Justin Fields moving around and, you know, Jacob Eason moving around and, and you know, Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma, so on and so forth. I mean, it's just a situation where, you know, only one can play and they all want to play and they're unwilling to wait. Yeah, it, it's a really uh, – it's an interesting position that they're in, and, and I don't know what the answer is and, and what you do because, Austin, you're right. I mean, you're not an attractive transfer place for a guy with one year of eligibility. If you take a guy with multi-year eligibility, how much does that affect you recruiting a 23 high school quarterback, you know? Um, and then how much does a guy like Taven Jackson, who's going to be here in January, is a pretty highly acclaimed high school quarterback, does he kind of prevent somebody from transferring in? Do you take a second high school quarterback? Is there a guy you could get as a second there? I don't know, but but you don't want to sit in that room and it be Joey Halsley and two other guys because that's not enough. You've got to create some depth in there. I'm just not sure how you go about doing that because there's some things working against you even though you don't have a bunch of numbers. They've got openings, right? That We, we know that other than Hendon Hooker, I, we expect that they'll have the, the, the next two backups available uh, for, for freshmen, incoming freshmen or for the transfer portal. Um, let's, let's move to Harrison Bailey guys and, and hubs, the, the decision, not a big shock. Uh, he handled it the right way. Everything coming out during the bye week he's going into the, the final month here before the, we'll, we'll start to see a lot of movement, uh, makes sense on the timing, but why did it not work for Bailey? Not just for Hypel. I realize that the Hypel offense does not fit him. He doesn't deliver the ball all that fast, uh, from the, from the snap. Um, and, and just the overall style of offense. But it didn't work in the previous regime either uh, for a very slow-plotting offense in Jim Chaney. Why, why did Harrison Bailey never truly get that, okay, we're all in with him to see what we've got? I don't think Jim Chaney was ever all in on him. Um, and I think that the evidence of that is 
you know, Jim, Jim Cheney inherited him as a commitment. Um, and, and then Jim Cheney went out and tried to get Haynes King to come to Tennessee. And so I, I think, you know, guys, coaches want their guy. And, and I think Jim Cheney uh, didn't, was not a huge Harrison Bailey guy when he was at Georgia. That's why Georgia didn't pursue hard there, Austin. And I think Jim Cheney was never all in for, for Harrison Bailey. Was it the right decision, the wrong decision? I, I don't know, but that was Jim Cheney's decision. And, and at $1.5 million a year, he was, you know, had his right to, to make that decision. And that's ultimately what ended up uh, happening to Harrison Bailey with the last staff. Yeah, I mean, I go back to, you know, you look at the college football upper echelon teams, the top tier teams the last four or five years. And which one could Harrison Bailey have went to? Couldn't have went to Georgia. Couldn't have went to Alabama. Couldn't have went to Clemson. Couldn't have went to Ohio State. It was like Michigan, Tennessee, a couple others. I mean, he had a lot of offers, but those were all offers he got as an eighth grader and a ninth grader and a sophomore. Um, you know, by the time it came decision-making time, he couldn't have went to those schools. So, um, you know, Harrison, I think, will be fine. Again, you look at Tennessee's team right now whether it be Jerome Carvin, who's had a really good year, uh, Theo Jackson, Cedric Tillman, not every player is meant to play right away. And I, I, I've always said that that late fifth star that he got from rivals was, was a blow to him because it put unwarranted expectations and, and, and sped up what everybody thought he should be. You know, again, I think given time, Harrison can be fine, but – Everybody just expected him to come in the door and, and save the program on the white horse and, and be Peyton Manning and all this other stuff. And the people that say, nobody thought that. Yes, they did. Like the expectations, the why, why there was all this clamoring for him was every bit of that, you know. And so sometimes the kids just take a couple of years to develop. And I think, again, he'll be fine. Put him in the right offense. Give him time to develop. And Harrison Bailey will be fine. And it he's just got it down to, you know, you know, no one was willing to wait on that here. And he's got to go find a place that's the right fit for him. Yeah, and, and the right fit schematically, right fit coaching wise. I mean, somebody that that really wants him, that that's really going to invest and go with him there. I think that's important. And I think Harrison Bailey will look at that this time around when he goes through the process. A lot of this is about getting with the right guy, okay, and getting yourself in the right system. Um, that that's what quarterback play is all about. Um, you know, if you're at the wrong place. Then, then it doesn't work. And um, that, that's, you know, Harrison Bailey didn't work here because the people that um, he, he was committed to playing to um, on the offensive side of the ball, those guys didn't believe in him, particularly early on with Jim Chaney. Guys, I, I, I fully admit I have no idea how many quarterbacks are in the portal. You have any, like, any range of number that gener just in, in general terms – like Harrison Bailey's going into a transfer portal with how many other quarterbacks at any given time? Is there any idea? I don't know what the number is. I mean, there'll be a large number because, again, there's one ball, okay, that there's one guy who can play that position. Um, and, and so you're going to always see a high volume, high number of quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Spencer Rattler at some point I think is going to go in from Oklahoma. He'll be the highest profile guy. And there'll be some buzz about Harrison Bailey because of those five stars. Um, and, and the notion that he was just bad for this offense. He didn't fit in this offense. Uh, so there'll be some buzz there. I think what's interesting with the portal is, and it's a little bit, Paul could speak to this a little bit about NFL free agency. The, the, the best player, the most productive player, may not be the best fit for your franchise or for your school. And I think college coaches are starting to learn that and are starting to look at that, that 
that you don't just look at the stars and you don't just look at a guy's stats. you got to do a deep dive and find out why he's leaving, find out what the issues there are, are there issues there, and make sure the guy fits in your locker room and with your culture. I, I think I'm not saying that college coaches are against the portal or certainly not going to take portal kids. They are. But I don't think it's just going to be Oprah handing out scholarships <laughs> to guys just because they've got stars or just because they're highly acclaimed. Because you got to make sure they're the right fit in your culture, particularly if you're Josh Heupel moving into year two, you're moving in the right direction. You don't want guys to come in and be disruptive and cause you problems that you haven't had to deal with. That Dr. Pepper commercial with yeah. Fantown or whatever, mm-hmm. yep. the portal they have, that's how I've always pictured it. Like guys <laughs> coming in and out, like a Star Trek kind of in and out of the and you may not, hey, they, they may not finally visualized off, it for me. May not it's hand the Austin out, Powers time machine. Guys. Yeah. It's the Austin Powers time machine. May not hand out uh, scholarships in the transfer portal um, like Oprah, but Austin Price hands out gifts under his Christmas tree on Halloween. Um, I, I can't get over the fact that uh, here we are. And this is a this is an annual deal. For Wait the till price, the 4th of July. For the Price hey. home. Yeah. Hey, here's the here's the beauty part in his trick or treat candy bu- box or, or bu- bucket that he's handing out. It's the Reese's Easter egg. <laughs> really starting hard, dude. Hey, and, about Valentine's Day first, uh, and Valentine's. Fourth of July sparklers. Kids come to the door and Austin uh, is holding Confusion. a stocking, like reach into the stocking and grab a <laughs> grab a treat. Uh, coming up, a, a, a question to ponder uh, during the break: If if Tennessee goes on the road and beats Kentucky. There will be the most tangible optimism surrounding this program since when? We'll ask Brent Hubbs and Austin Price that question when we return on Outkick 360. The Kentucky Wildcats face Mississippi State on Saturday. The Vols are off before they will be in Lexington to take on the Wildcats in week 10 of the college football season. It's Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. We're joined by Brent Hubbs and Austin Price of VolQuest.com. Brent, and then Austin, if we uh, if we see Tennessee go on the road, which they're totally capable of, and beat Kentucky a week from now, there will be the most tangible optimism surrounding Josh Heupel and this program since when? It's a good question. Um, you know, looking back, everybody now has no use for Jeremy Pruitt, but, but they did have an eight-game winning streak uh, heading into week three last year. When you go back and look at how they ended uh, that previous season in, in 19 and then in 20, they, they won their first two games, and, and then they, they're ranked 14th in the country, and they go to Georgia and have a halftime lead. Um, looking back on it, it looks like that was not a very good football team, but there was pretty good optimism there. But from an offensive standpoint, um, and, and the excitement around this team and this ab- their ability to score, you probably got to go back to that 10-game win streak or so that Butch Jones put together before uh, that they lost at Texas A&M in overtime and then obviously gagged that 2016 season away, Austin, with a, a loss to South Carolina and then just a, just a horrible loss in Nashville to Vanderbilt. Yeah, I agree with you. I look at the um, you know the 2016 season as probably that benchmark because I mean of how they won, the style of play that they won. Yeah, they won eight games in a row under, under Jeremy. Um, you know, and again, winning's winning. You know, it doesn't. You know, nobody's. You know, style points don't matter. If if you win the the national championship six to three, <laughs> nobody's gonna remember that. They're, they're just gonna remember some great defensive plays and bringing home a trophy. So. Um, you know, but, but from the style of play and the excitement around the program, 
I would go 2016. You know, there was some excitement when they had the eight-game winning streak. Um, you know, but at that point, Tennessee hadn't beat any of their major rivals. Um, and, and they haven't here either. But the point being is, you know, you, you've got to, you know, be competitive in those games against, you know, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. And, uh, you know, this team with uh, not a lot of uh, depth went down there and battled. And people are taking notice of it. Well, and here's the thing, too. What gets people excited is quarterback play, okay? And when you look at the fact that Hendon Hooker is is given some things for fans to be optimistic about, and they haven't had that. Sorry, I was distracted by Austin's changing lights. Whatever he did on his Christmas tree there bothered me, broke my train of thought. <laughs> but, but the point being, when don't you have, have a seizure. I know when you have quarterback play, um, that changes the outlook that everybody has, right? And, and and Tennessee, nobody was excited about Jerry Garantano last year. Even when they were winning games, there was an excitement there. They were excited uh, about what Josh Dobbs and that offense were doing because they were putting up so many points, and they were a fun team to watch play. With the week off, they figure to be as healthy as maybe they're going to be for, for, the, for the rest of the season, particularly on the offensive line. Mays brothers carrying each other off, off the field. What, uh, what's the best – People can hope for coming coming off of this rest and heading into Kentucky. Well, I just I think that you know as you just pointed out, they're as healthy as they're going to be the rest of the way. And you know, can they get you know Cade back for Kentucky? I think he's he's going to play. Um, having been around him for Tennessee Prime Tuesday night and just kind of talking to him off to the side, uh, he never said one way or the other. But he made it clear, you know, he knows he's got a four game run uh, left to play with this team and Cooper. Um, I think he's he's pretty bound and determined to to you know even if he's seventy percent I think he's better than that okay I, I think he's you know much better than that but I, even if he was seventy percent I think he's bound and determined to gut through it and uh, play and then you know when you look at uh, you know a couple of those other players whether it be Tyon Evans um, I, I think he should be good to go again basically they had the whole week off Brent I mean they didn't practice hardly at all and uh, they'll reconvene on Monday and and and, and really you know pick up their on-the-field practice efforts for Kentucky. They've been doing a lot of meetings about Kentucky all week, uh, and they had, a, you know, the practice uh, there in the middle of the week. But he really gave them, you know, basically everything but Wednesday and Thursday was an off day this week. Yeah, and a lot of the guys didn't even go uh, through the whole practice on Wednesday and Thursday because of just the volume of snaps some guys had played. They're trying to be smart with those guys. They want to make sure that they're fresh and have their legs back under them for Kentucky in the stretch run. Interesting on the offensive line, they might get a little bit better in terms of depth if Karon Calvert can get himself in a situation where he can play some snaps. He's not going to be in game shape the rest of the year, but could he be a guy who comes in and spot fills for some guys? And same for Kingston Harris. I don't know if either one of them are going to be ready in the month of November, but there's a chance. And if that happens, then they're going to be more talented on the offensive line with some more depth that they have not had all season long. And that, that adds even more uh, just uh, – it's another – notch in the hypo column right it's a check mark because he wants to rotate more linemen based on that pace and he hasn't been able to do it with the injuries what was Karon's injury uh, it, to me I, when it first came out I thought his season was over it was uh, shoulder oh, okay uh, still I mean I something something went down with him and I, I know that you guys had reported he was going to try to make it back but Man, yeah, that, I think the I think the belief was that he was going to miss the whole year when he had the injury to yeah. the to the shoulder bicep area, and, and he's in a situation where 
Um, it's gotten better. It's, it's healed at a pretty fast rate, and and he he can play down the stretch of this season and still get the year back um, because there's only four games, and he has an opportunity to do that. So I think he wants to give it a go, and then you know hopefully Tennessee can keep him healthy and get him back next year as a super senior, uh, which would be important because he needs um, that they they need all the depth they can get. Austin's my, shaking me off here. Well, I was gonna say not sure bicep. 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 Um, Bicep. Before we go any further, I I would like to know what happened to Paul's eye. I mean, he's got a black eye over here. I mean, like, you know, it's looking looking way Chad's absent from the show, so apparently those two got into it, and and Paul was the last man standing. It's looking so much better that you're the first person that's mentioned it, but have have you missed the progress of this thing that's been going on for months? He, He hasn't missed it at all. He's mentioning it for that reason. It's uh, it, it's healing after. Thank you for asking. <laughs> removal of a uh, cancerous spot. I'll oh, see now. You go there. I was wanting to have yeah. fun. Yeah. Thanks for making your, fun of my cancer, Austin. Out of your mouth there, Austin. Yeah. I'll uh, look forward to your apology card. I prefer the paper sort that shows up in the mailbox. I just figured AJ Brown hit you after practice. Now he, he's nonviolent, as am I. I'm a verbal jouster. Yes, uh, talking only on uh, no. on Paul's end. But look, look, as this one heals up, there's going to be more with my scalp. So we'll have months and months of material. Just in time for live streaming on uh, on Outkick, guys. Just yeah. in time. It's perfect. Yeah. We'll have a, hel- a, a head cam shooting straight down <laughs> like a mistletoe <laughs> over my head. Hey, can you give that to the SEC so they can get some, yeah, some balls some ideas. the right way? Can you loan that camera out to them? We'll Lincoln talk. Mark we'll talk to Jakob right, Swanson right. about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that done. Uh, our Travis Tritt here on the show, uh, Jacob Swanson. <laughs> uh, final, final question for you guys: Which position group has surprised you the most, based on what you thought they would be versus how well they've hel- they've held up or played to this point? Well, I mean, I, I knew that this defensive line would be much better because they were coached when they weren't coached a year ago essentially. Uh, yeah. And Rodney Garner is a really good coach. So I'm not surprised by that. I think for me, it's more some individuals than it is a given position. Uh, what they're getting out of Cedric Tillman, I, I, I'm surprised by. Um, Theo Jackson has been really good at the star position. Uh, Matthew Butler um, has found a different gear. Um, Jacob Warren at tight end early in the season was doing a lot of really good things. So for me, it's more about some individuals that than it is one specific position. Uh, I think p- quietly Austin Warren Burrell's had a really nice solid year. Nobody's really picking on him, uh, but that's a veteran secondary that that should have had a pretty good year in a lot of cases. Well, you say that, but like I think that they're they've got guys that are older. Like Warren Burrell's been in the program for a few years, but experience on the field he ha- doesn't have a lot. So I, I you're I think you hit the nail on the head there with with the fact that I think he's had quietly had a really good year and and no one's going, well, he's a liability because he's not been a liability at all. He's been really, really good, which former ball defensive backs coach Terry Fayer really loved Warren Burrell coming out of high school. Never get the, got the chance to coach him, but was a huge fan of his. And uh, I know he's not surprised by Warren's play at all. Um, you know, Javante Payton, I knew would make plays. But I, and, and I know he's not catching a, a, a huge number of balls, but he's got five touchdowns in the last six games. Should have six out of six because he dropped that one against Ole Miss uh, on that, uh, you know, on that in route in the end zone. He, he's he been worth everything you can imagine, even though he's a one 
kind of a six month loan or as a, and with one year left, um, uh, guys like that have been really impressive to me. Bayless Jones in the slot. I think it's more just kind of how they've found their footing with certain guys throughout the season. Bayless early on, not as much impact. Moving to the slot, way more impact. Javante Payton's found a, a home of just catching touchdowns. Cedric Tillman continues to be really good, um, you know, and, and continue to improve. And again, just another example of a guy that wasn't ready. Uh, to play early on, but has has found his groove um, over the course of several years. And then defensively, Matthew Butler, you know, experience, experience, experience. Theo Jackson, same thing. So, you know, if you're a younger guy, to me, you look at those older guys and say, hey, if I stick in here, I got a shot instead of just panicking and running to the portal like so many kids do. And I, and I would throw Hendon Hooker into that as well as yeah, a guy sure. who surprised me. I mean, you, you know – what, he came here and committed to a program that's not the program he committed to when he showed up here in, in January. He stayed the course and waited on his opportunity and has made the most of it. And, you know, he's the reason why those receivers are playing much better because he has been able to deliver the ball down the field that Joe Milton couldn't do in the first game and in, in, in a half before he got injured. So you got to put Hendon Hooker in that category as well. Guys, I was going to save this uh, for the final segment of the show, but I'm going to I'm going to throw it around the room just to get some some other opinion and votes for this poll question. So tomorrow, now kick the tailgate. Our third question of the show uh, involves Halloween. What is the best Halloween candy? Is it and based on these these options, Snickers, Reese's, gummy bears, or candy corn? Those are your four options. Which way would you go, Hubs, on Snickers, Reese's, gummy bears, or candy corn? Well, I mean, you got to go Snickers. First of all, I'm not a peanut butter guy, so the Reese's are out for me because I'm allergic to peanut butter. So okay. I'm going to strike them from the category. Um, I don't, I don't consider gummy bears a real treat because you know they're available at every turn. <laughs> and people just people eat gummy bears all the time. So I'm going to go with Snickers. I always thought it was a big deal when you pulled uh, when you walked up to somebody's front door and you knocked on the door and they were giving out candy bars. They weren't giving out Smarties yeah. or candy corn. I mean, you're at a nice place. You're at Paul's house when they were giving out candy bars is what you were doing there. We are giving and out we, candy bars. Miniature we, we or giving, full size? We have full size. Which Whoa. ones did you go with? We're hooking people Ooh. up. I didn't see wow. the whole haul, but I know there are uh, Kit Kat and Reese's. You, you're allergic to peanut butter, but not peanuts? Yeah, I was confused by this. That's correct. That's odd. I don't know. I don't know, Paul. I'm an odd man. What can I say? <laughs> Sounds like you're just allergic to butter then. <laughs> it sounds like he just, he just lied about an allergy. He, and didn't know what he can eat the Snickers, but he can't <laughs> eat, he's like, oh, I wonder, I, eat the Reese's. I've never, I mean, I had peanut butter when I was young. It made me sick. It, it, it caused break breakout, whatever. So I don't, I don't eat peanut butter. I haven't had it since. I'm not a peanut butter guy. He was answered the question, Austin, and he was like, why am I lying about this random allergy yeah, I don't have? I, I really backed myself into a corner here. <laughs> Austin, your choice. Listen, How would you vote, if, Bryce? If you legitimately have an allergy, I'm all for taking oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Reese's off the board. No, 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 no. I'm saying I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about in uh, generality. Austin, if you have a peanut allergy, you. I'm all for taking the peanut butter off the board. Yeah. But if you don't pick Reese's, then you're it, lying. No, no, no. Listen, anybody that doesn't pick Reese's that doesn't have a peanut allergy, you're wrong. <laughs> and you are in a bad, bad way. So you need to get your life in, in order and, and figure out some of the decisions you're making out there with what's going on. And can't nobody's picking candy corn. That's disgusting. Oh. And uh, what was the other one? David Reed gummy loves bears. candy corn. Loves gummy bears. Candy bears. That, that tells me all I need to know about the chairman of the board. 
I vote Reese's as well. I'm with Price. He also must eat peeps at, at, at Easter. <laughs> oh, careful on a peep now. Oh, if you, now you're getting into Hubs territory. Yeah, there. there will be no, <laughs> no allergy there. No. He's allergic to peeps. Yeah. He's allergic to marshmallows. <laughs> no, no I, I can roll the peep. I can roll a peep. No besmirching He likes peep. a peep, but he's allergic to marshmallows. I like that. He's allergic to marshmallows, but he loves Ross Krispie treats. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I randomly lying to these guys about an allergy? I don't yeah. Terrible. Terrible. I'm just glad Austin told the truth about the Reese's Cups. Oh, listen, buddy. There's no doubt the about it. Packer, the Packer half the time shows me eating Reese's in the in the, uh, <laughs> in the, in the, in the Austin's, Austin's consumption of Reese's Cups is a sport. I mean, it really is. It's, it's like a NASCAR pit stop. I, I'm telling you right now, a king-size Reese's Cup is down before four tires or ever thought about being changed in a pit stall at a NASCAR race. I like it. And, and clearly, clearly, my physique uh, uh, showcases every bit of those Reese Cups. You like them? Uh, you like them frozen? The, uh, the, the, the fried foods that I eat. So, frozen is know. great. You like them frozen, Austin? No, I do not like them frozen. That's a, that's that that that's a that, that's a no go for me. I like, like in them fact, frozen. the kid the kid that helps us out on Robbery Thursday. A lot of yeah. times, I'll be like, "Hey, go to the concession and get me Reese's while I'm on the air." And, and I'll say, and I'll tell him if they're frozen, don't do it. If they're frozen, don't bring it back. Don't want it. I like them both guys. Melted is fine too. Happy Halloween to you, Austin. Merry Christmas. And, uh, we will catch up next week. Enjoy the open weekend. Hey, those were great costumes. We're not going to tell the radio people what you were wearing, but terrific (laughs) job. Good to see you guys. Hey guys, take care. Hey guys. Brent Hubs, Austin Price, VolQuest.com for the VolQuest Power Hour. Coming up, the Titans Colts preview. All straight ahead on Outkick 360. Headed into the weekend. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Shout out to Fox Sports Knoxville, Fox Sports Shoals. Sports Radio 104.7 in the Upper Cumberland. We say hello to you. You can follow us on Twitter this weekend at Outkick360. That's where you can find the link for Outkick the Tailgate, which kicks off tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 a.m. Eastern from Jacksonville for Georgia, Florida, and the cocktail party. I have three keys for how the Titans go on the road and win against the Indianapolis Colts, a team that we know they can win against. They've already done it once this season, but a chance to take a three-game division lead and really a four-game lead because they would own the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Colts by sweeping them for just the third time since they joined the AFC South. Three keys. Number one, Paul, I, I say they have to build off of their play-action efficiency. Tannehill had his best play-action game of the season Last week, 9 of 11 passing, 173 yards on play action. The explosion was there. A.J. Brown is back. Play action from the very first play of the game worked. And they were extremely efficient. How efficient? We know they were excellent in play action in 2020 with Arthur Smith. They only had one game with more passing yards on play action last year than what they did last week. I'm not saying they have to reach those same type numbers, 173 yards on play action. But man, would it give uh, just uh, it would give the the Colts defense a lot to work with. They need to keep building off of that. Keep this in mind: Indy's defense is the reason why this game is so close in Vegas. Indianapolis has allowed the fourth fewest points per game and the second fewest rushing yards per game over the last month. And I chose the last month because that's when the Titans last saw the Colts to now. Um, so they rank in the fourth fewest since that game. 
and second fewest in rushing yards since they faced uh, Derrick Henry. And that includes the Baltimore game, where Baltimore had that furious comeback and put up a ton of yards and, and points against them. Overall, they're tied with Buffalo for the most takeaways this season. The Titans, they have to... They, the, the takeaway from the win, the Titans turned it over three times, but they were efficient in certain areas of their game. Tannehill really took over earlier this season against the Colts. They, they will have to earn it again. The Colts' defense makes you earn it. Nothing comes easy, but now they've got A.J. back. Derrick Henry has a tradition of doing better in the second game against division opponents. And on the road, we know what he does. Yeah, but... He had a good game against the Colts there. The Titans survived the game with all those turnovers and everything. Be a different kind of game. Well, so that's uh, – let's go to the run game because that's the second key. Who gets to 100? And it's not necessarily the 100-yard plateau. It's just who has the best game. Um, who slows down the other opponent's running back? Maybe is a better way to phrase this. Only three backs this season have three or more 100-yard efforts on the year. Jonathan Taylor – and Derrick Henry are two of those three backs. Who's the third? Chubb is the other I'm one. I'm surprised because he's been hurt. And it, and he's been extremely efficient when he's been playing. Both teams are going to be run-oriented on Sunday. Can either contain the opposition? That's key number two. Key number three, on a similar note, the Titans' defense is top 10 in points allowed since their trip to Seattle. Uh, and they made Indy earn it, even on short fields. They made them earn it. Nothing was free. Uh, Wentz is not nearly as hobbled as he was when the Titans saw him in week three. He's He's been playing well. They need more efficiency in that area where they have vastly improved. The Titans need a carbon copy effort of what they did against the Colts defensively back in week three because the Colts are improved on offense because they're just healthier now on offense. Those yeah. are my three keys. And holding Kansas City down to three points really helps your scoring average. Yes. Uh, they gave up points to the Bills. Um. Right. What was that? Thirty-one twenty-four. Yeah, it was a, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to remember the score well, but um, look, I, I think you're on the run game. Jonathan Taylor has broken off a lot of big runs. They don't use them enough. They're determined to get their yeah. other guys in the mix. I think they'd be wiser to stick with him longer. They're not going to change their formula same way the Titans aren't going to change their formula and all of a sudden use Henry less. I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't. I. I this is an empty-the-barrel mindset game for the Colts, but I don't think they come out and do anything crazy. I think they stick with their formula to try to win against the Titans straight up. They don't come out... I don't think they come out with some onside kick or something to begin the game, but no. now watch them do that. I just don't think that's in Frank Reich's best interest in this one. Um, if the Indy wins, we know there's a one-game separation. The Titans would still be number one in the division, but only by a game. If the Titans win, they have a three-game lead in the AFC South. Uh, plus, the tiebreaker. plus the tiebreaker by winning back-to-back games over Indy. So let's run through yeah. three scenarios here. We'll start with the tight as it is right now. This is the New York Times playoff machine, which is uh, excellent, excellent tool. Jacob, the, fir- the first uh, first picture here shows us the Titans' odds of making the playoffs right now or winning the division. Eighty-four percent as things stand right now. You see at the bottom, it's giving me a choice between picking the Titans or the Colts to win this game. So in the next one, we go from 84% to win the division. With the Titans winning this game, 97% chance to win this division. That's the three, really, four-game lead that we're talking about. Unheard of, 97% chance of winning the division before November 1st. But we're thinking if they lose, the Colts really close the margin. 
If you pick the Colts to win this game, look at what happened. Titans still 71% chance mm. to win the division. You're in pretty good shape even if you lose this game. They don't need to be thinking that way, but it's not a, a death blow. It's really great if they win this game, but it's not really bad if they lose this game. They have, Though you're going to have a lot of regret because you could have put yourself in unbelievable position. This goes into what Chad was mentioning earlier this week with the way the Colts finished the season, but let's let's just quickly fast forward past this game. In November, they have back-to-back games against the Bills and the Bucks. So even if the, they win this game, they're within a game, but they have a, the toughest part of their schedule is coming up. Now, they're saying they're going to be healthier now, yeah. but the toughest part of their schedule is still to come. Titans finish the toughest part of their schedule next week yep. in Los Angeles. Yep. And, and they're already 2-0 and in the toughest part of their schedule. Even if they lose to the Colts and the Rams, things get far easier after that. So... You know, this is a big one. I, I can't remember a mid-season game, and I'm not the best memory for Titan seasons, despite the fact that I've been at most of this since the very beginning. <clears throat> but it's hard to remember a scenario where a mid-season game meant so much. And mostly that's because you don't play the second half of your season series on October 31st very often. It's a scheduling glitch, really. And it's not good for the long term, but it's great in the short term that there's a game on Sunday afternoon that means so incredibly much in the AFC South. Um, is Marcus Johnson capable of stepping up and being the number two this week with Julio out? Former Colt. Well, I mean, he's playing off of... I think it's an easier job when you're playing off of A.J. Brown. You know, in other in other positions, you know, where they've had both... AJ and Julio hobbled or yes. out. <laughs> you were asking a guy to play number two off a of number one who wasn't a number one. So I think he can be efficient and effective. I mean, we've seen Westbrook Akina do some number two things off of AJ Brown, and he may be asked to do it more than, than Marcus Johnson. But I think Johnson and Westbrook Akina are capable of doing number two things if AJ Brown's playing at his peak. And I expect AJ Brown to be playing at his peak, though they're still going to. Not he's not playing 100 percent of the snaps. See, I Mark. They need to hit on Marcus Johnson. That needs to be that the quote unquote find now because Julio is going to be back and forth like this for the rest of the year, right? And then you try to get him to the postseason and capitalize on why you brought him here. Um, Josh Reynolds, I don't. I'm not buying for a minute that he's going to be a number two wideout in this offense. Um, Nick Westbrook Aquina is a role player, but a good one, but a role player. Um, Marcus Johnson can be the most consistent of the group. Um, and then can they find some any consistency? And Pruitt can be the answer. Can they find some consistency in the middle of the field? Or can Ferkser emerge? I mean, Ferkser's yeah, like patient, uh, you know, not patient zero. He's just invisible now. He's allowed, you know, they threw to him at the end of the Jets game to win it. He, he didn't get the ball, a catchable ball that should have won that game and would have them as the best team in the AFC right now. Um, where is he? It's, it's not just that they're not putting him out there, but it's that he hasn't taken advantage of the opportunities yeah. when he's had them. Um, and look, Jeremy McNichols has done nice work and his chances keep going with those screens. But when you throw Darrington Evans out there, let's see something from him. This guy's been utterly invisible. Um, and he had, he had some snaps. 
He's got straight line speed, but I haven't seen him do anything cornering and turning it upfield. And straight line speed for a running back doesn't doesn't it's not a quality that that turns into anything in a game. When do you head to Indy? Uh, five o'clock tomorrow night. Right. I, I was driving all of this time, and then all of a sudden, I decided to fly uh, more for Monday morning than for Saturday afternoon. So I got some kids baseball tomorrow, and then uh, a flight to Indy. Monday's show is going to be jam-packed. Hope you'll join us, 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern, for Outkick 360, where we're going to recap all the big games in college football, and you best believe we'll be talking Titans, Colts, and the results of what happens at Lucas Oil Stadium. Join us then on Monday right here for 360. Have a good trip. Have a cocktail for me. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.